that very much. Grab your Bibles, join me, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 2 Chronicles chapter 32. We'll be there in a few moments as we continue and finish up our study on Christian character building initiative this evening. As you find 2 Chronicles chapter 32, let me say just a couple things. First of all, left out one announcement, uh, FBI has started for the spring semester. That meets on Monday evenings at 6.30, and uh, they leave a little window at the beginning for you to come and see what it's all about and see if you like it, and then you can enroll after that. And so tomorrow evening at 6.30, if you'd like to come and see what FBI is all about, the Faith Bible Institute, that would be wonderful. And so that meets on the other end, and uh, room 208, known as the teen room and other things too, and so the choir warm-up room, all that good stuff, and so that's down there Monday nights. If you'd like to, tomorrow night would be a great night. If you have any questions, see Brother Jim Bryson. He'd sure be, be sure to answer any of those questions for you, but that meets on Monday evenings, and again, at the beginning of each semester, a couple of weeks, you can have to come see what it's like, and then decide to enroll if you'd like to do so. Children, we have the box of candy and treats up here, so I hope you'll come up after the service. I'll meet you down in front as we add our last installment to what uh, an initiative looks like. You remember our definition, if you have that outline, you've hung on to for many moons now, many months, and uh, you can pull that out. We've defined it as this. Initiative is recognizing and doing what needs to be done before I am asked to do. A very basic definition, yet a very good one, and uh, for uh, believers, old and young alike. And so then we ask the question, as we always do with our character traits, what does that look like? And uh, we started initially, we saw through uh, the illustrations of the raccoon, and Nehemiah, that initiative includes expanding my world by exploring new areas of interest and allowing myself to be taken out of my comfort zone, expanding uh, to new ideas and new thoughts as far as areas of interest and so forth. Allowing myself to be stretched is another way to describe it. Then we learn from the whistling swan and Abigail from the Bible that initiative also looks like taking the lead in order to relieve pressure from those around me. And uh, how crucial that is. Boy, what a, what a benefit and a sign of maturity when someone takes a, a lead and, uh, to relieve pressure of others and those around them. And so Abigail demonstrated that uh, very well. Then finally, we looked at and contemplated the yellow-shafted flicker, if you remember that, the actions of Samson as they both demonstrated that initiative is also acting in assurance of the outcome. Uh, acting in assurance of the outcome, uh, certainly a, a strong faith that acts in that. Tonight, the animal will look in the, the, the kingdom of nature, in a sense, first and so forth. The animal we'll look at tonight is only eight inches in size, and uh, it's probably, it is likely the most familiar of all shorebirds and having ponds and lakes and streams throughout North America. It, it's a loner bird. It, it lives a solitary life. It's best known for being seen scurrying along the shoreline with its peculiar teetering motion during which it periodically pauses and uh, finds an insect and looks for other kind of food. Yeah, it is the spotted sandpiper, the spotted sandpiper, and they're fun to watch along the shoreline, aren't they? And those little spindly legs moving uh, fast and uh, moving along. And so uh, it, it obviously does, as you see the picture, as you've seen probably in person, has rather long legs for its size. Uh, that combined with its pointed bill actually and its ability to camouflage in the surrounding soils and foliage makes it a very effective hunter. It's kind of interesting, kind of fun to watch if you ever have the opportunity to do so. Uh, it actually stalks its prey. It's somewhat of a stalker uh, in that sense and not the scary kind. Uh, and uh, it's a stalker kind of predator in the how, how it acts towards the view. Once it, it spots a victim, an insect or another crustacean, whatever the case may be, it points its bill straight at the the prey uh, while stretching out and really becoming parallel uh, its body along the ground. So it stretches it out, and in doing so, it's kind of interesting. The, the prey is unable to distinguish the head 
head uh, from the, the feathers of the body. And so he doesn't realize how close, how the proximity of the danger of the predator and so forth there. And so in that position, the sandpiper slowly uh, stalks forward. It approaches the, uh, the victim, the, the insect, uh, in, a, in a striking distance. And then with amazing speed, it flicks, uses its bill, flips it up, and gets the insect in its mouth. And so uh, it's funny because of the way it walks and so forth. It has many other names. It's referred to uh, in different areas as the teeter, the teeter tail, the seesaw, sand peep, and sand snipe, and the teeterer, and many others actually. And, and obviously, that those terms, those names are derived from the uh, nervous habit it has of tilting its body as it walks. Uh, it's interesting. The baby chicks are really quite quick learners. Uh, in fact, as soon as the chicks hatch, they are able to see, walk, and even feed themselves. I don't know, as a parent, that sounds good, amen. And uh, uh, the babies come out, the chickens come out, and boy, they're able to see and feed themselves and walk. And so uh, it has, because as you can imagine, the incubation period is one of the longest for birds uh, in producing that. So it's kind of interesting that when they're young, their way of protection uh, is their immediate and quick response to their mother's uh, protective cries of danger. When, when danger's around, when there's another predator around, the mother will let loose a loud peep, 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 and, and uh, very loudly, the, the chicks hear it and immediately they flatten themselves to the ground and they just freeze. They don't move at all and um, play a great game of freeze tag in a sense, right? And uh, so because of their yellowish buff colored uh, down, their, their feathers and things there with some sprinkling of brown shades, it enables them to blend in effectively at the background so that's extremely difficult for them to be detected on the flat surface of the ground. So when the danger is all gone and the coast is clear, Mother sounds the signal and they quickly return to the mother to hide under the protection of her wing and uh, such. As we noted before, the, the sandpiper is a solitary bird. It, it, it just, they're not in flocks typically and things like that. And uh, interestingly, as, as soon as two days after being hatched, the, the, the young chicks will, are off exploring. Within a few short weeks, they will separate from their parents. And uh, they aren't, they're at home very long. Typically within a month, the fledglings are on their own. Amazingly, I think this is pretty amazing, they learn to use their wings and fly short distances within 10 to 12 days. And so pretty quick for a bird in, in the sense of developing the wing, the muscles, and the things there, the ability to fly even short distances within 10 to 12 days. Now, unfortunately, the sandpiper kind of gives us a negative illustration of, of initiative. And uh, in that idea, the definition or the, the description of initiative we're looking at tonight, if you have your outline from many moons ago, it's simply this, responding quickly and wisely to situations of danger. Responding quickly and wisely to situations of danger. Another description of what does initiative look like. Well, it's good for us to take the initiative in responding quickly and wisely to situations of danger. Sad, sadly, sometimes a mother sandpiper demonstrates how not doing this can be very costly for her eggs. Often when it's time to produce her eggs, the sandpiper will find a spot on a high sandy knoll and uh, close to the water. She'll, she'll scratch out a very shallow uh, depression. They don't make huge nests or anything as such. It's just a very shallow depression. They'll scratch it out in the loose soil, and it's just the size to cradle full, about four eggs perfectly. Once the, the eggs, uh, once the eggs are produced, uh, hatched, the parents take turn in the duties of incubation. They sit on them and take turns to do so to keep them warm. And, and the eggs are quite amazing in their design. If you've ever seen a picture of them, they're spotted, blotched is how they're also described. They're also uh, pale in color, and so they blend in tremendously well with their surroundings. Very hard to see. And so with the nest not being very big, little foliage, more of a depression in the sand, and then the color of the eggs, it's very camouflaged, very protected in that that sense. 
Well, as time passes, uh, as that mother, uh, St. Piper, sits on that, and, and the father too, then uh, danger sometimes comes up. Sometimes it's in the form of a mink. And you can imagine a mink slipping towards the shoreline some distance away, as they will often do, searching for food. Anything that it can get its hands on certainly loves fish and other things, certainly loves birds, and will even eat birds' eggs. Mother has to respond quickly, has to protect the eggs. What kind of response should she have? Well, honestly, most often it's better for her to show initiative by leaving the nest quickly and quietly while the threat is some distance away. In doing so, the, uh, the mother can get away, won't draw attention to the nest, and then with their camouflage and ability, it's very unlikely that the predator, the mink, would, would find the eggs. But too often the mother lacks that kind of initiative and instead it huddles close to the eggs. Uh, and kind of freezes in position. You can imagine the mink kind of exploring around and looking for food and, and getting a little frustrated as it's hungry and, and so forth. Uh, he's trying to detect movement. and He's keeping his eyes up and around and looking to see if there's any kind of movement of any kind of prey. Likewise, he's smelling often and trying to catch wind of uh, prey that it would serve as supper. Thankfully, the sandpiper in the nest are downwind of the predator Hungry and not finding anything, the mink heads closer down the, the shoreline to the sandy knoll. For the moment, the mother remains perfectly frozen. And though the intruder is dangerously close, it's unaware of the bird or the nest, the eggs therein. But then that mother bird sometimes gives in to fear and the danger. And quickly, it startles the, the mink with a commotion, flutters his rings, and even cries out as it takes wing and flies away. And Sadly, in that moment, the mink has taken notice of where the bird come from, came from. Discovers the nest, and thanks to the lack of the initiative by the mother bird, and it quickly moves in to enjoy a, what we might describe as a much-enjoyed and much-desired meal. Unfortunately, that ill-considered commotion as it rushes to take wings, which is interesting, it's actually a known characteristic of this species to kind of react in that way and unfortunately draw attention, signaled the whereabouts of the eggs to that predator, the mink. Uh, didn't act wisely, didn't act as quickly as it should have to just leave the nest alone and, and protect its own eggs in that sense. Didn't show the initiative too. And so we see tonight that initiative is responding quickly and wisely to situations of danger. Now in the Bible, there's an interesting character who gives a positive illustration and a negative illustration of the same thing. In much the same way, he, he also falls into not acting quickly, not acting wisely in one instance, yet another one, he does act wisely, he does act quickly. And he was a king. In fact, he was the 15th king of Judah as the Israel had split apart and so forth. And his was a very difficult time to be king of Judah. Uh, the rebellion had been God is certainly well documented within scriptures. We know that they were suffering because of it. They were struggling because they had rebelled against God in different ways. On the world scene, Politically speaking, there was a constant threat from the Assyrian Empire that had been spreading far and wide. They'd been conquering, torturing, destroying people and lands and, and just amassing a huge kingdom unto themselves. And so that was a constant threat. His predecessor had personally experienced uh, the Assyrians and all that the, uh, the terribleness that that brought to the nation and so forth. But he had not yet. 
Yet, to the contrary, this king had already established some revival. He'd already gotten things going in which uh, they'd gotten rid of some of the Assyrian uh, religious forms, uh, reforms, excuse me. They smashed the Assyrian idols and altars, and uh, certainly that captured the attention of the Assyrian nation. You probably guessed the name of this king. His name was Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah certainly led in those reforms, the spiritual reforms, revival in some ways. And yet there was a constant threat from the Assyrian Empire coming and attacking them once again, destroying Jerusalem, destroying Judah as a whole. And yet, here's something we learned tonight. When it comes to one of these life lessons of initiative, Hezekiah demonstrates for us a, 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 an important life lesson when it comes to facing any danger. Look at verse number 20 of 2 Chronicles chapter 32, if you will. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we look at verse number 20. It says this, And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, prayed and cried to heaven. So here's the first lesson. If we're going to make a, uh, several principles, we'll draw out tonight and we'll be done. The first is this. Never prepare for danger without God in the equation. Never prepare for danger without God in the equation. Hezekiah learned this early and often. And sir, we see even here in this situation, he enlists Isaiah to help him cry to heaven for deliverance from the Assyrians. And yet you can be assured that that Hezekiah didn't wait till the Assyrians were on the doorstep of Jerusalem. It wasn't just when they showed up, uh oh, we've got problems. No, Hezekiah was well aware, and you can be assured that from the beginning, he sought the wisdom of God to help him prepare months, if not years ahead, for the invasion that would surely come. And I think great importance here never leave God. And here's the key to this statement when you're preparing for potential danger. When you're preparing for potential problems, never leave God out of the equation. And he didn't do that. Hezekiah cried out to God, and God gave him wisdom. And one of the amazing studies of Hezekiah as a king was how, what he led the nation of Israel in in preparation for future attacks from the Assyrian Empire and even other empires. He built fortifications around Jerusalem and around Judah. He reorganized the entire army. He upped the production of armor and weapons for the army. In fact, he also, I think probably the, the thing that he is known for, uh, one one of the things he's known for the best is he built a 1,777 foot tunnel through solid rock. And he did so to bring water into Jerusalem that, so that when the, the city of Jerusalem was besieged at any time, they still would have water and it could not be stopped. It could not be prevented by any attacking army. And so he built this tunnel to ensure that the inhabitants of Jerusalem would have water. An amazing feat, and yet certainly God directed and guided him in that. At the same time, he also went out and blocked off all the other sources of water in the area surrounding the city so that uh, it would inconvenience uh, the Assyrians and other armies when they come. And they did come. The Bible tells us, in fact, even this passage alludes to the reality of the Assyrians came and they attacked Judah and they attacked Jerusalem and they inflicted great damage. And this verse, even verse 20, is indicative of the response of Hezekiah and him enlisting Isaiah to cry out to God, the God of heaven. And again, that teaches us another good lesson here is this simple thought. Number two, never face danger with your own schemes and plans. Always look to God. Always ask him, how should I handle this? What, what should be our response? I, I think of those who, who face a, a, a evil tidings, maybe a health thing or whatever the case may be. You know, my friend, you and I, uh, uh, there's an old statement in history from a, a novel, the best laid plans of men and mice. And the statement simply means this, they fall apart. The best laid plans uh, the reality of, uh, you, you can make all the plans in the world, but I'll tell you, my friend, if they're not God's plans, they're in danger of falling apart. 
So when we face danger, when we hear evil tidings, when there's something maybe in our, our future, and, and maybe when it comes up right away, oh my goodness, friend, never face danger with your own schemes and plans. Always look to God, as we've said before, include Him in the, in the equation, not only in preparation, but also in your response to danger. Also in your response. I put it this way, there's no comparison between the outcome of facing danger with your own plans and your own ways and facing danger with God and his plans and in his ways. No comparison. So do it God's way, follow his things. As Jerusalem was besieged, Hezekiah found the truth of this life lesson. Jerusalem stood, it was inconceivable. The Assyrian army had just gone through everything. They destroyed nation after nation, city after city, and they were in some uh, descriptions unstoppable. Nobody was going to be able to stand before them. Many uh, kings and nation had already said, we'll give up. They threw in the towel, and, and uh, uh, they were very cruel. They were very tortured, but they were also very persuasive. Even here, they stood outside the city, and they, they spoke in the Hebrew language. And they basically told the people up in the wall, Hezekiah is uh, telling you a lie. You're not going to be able to withstand us. We're going to destroy you. We're going to take everything from you. And boy, that can be very uh, uh, discouraging. And uh, so they were a powerful army. Nobody was able to stand, but Israel did. It's interesting, as they besieged the city as it continued, on the other side of the Assyrian Empire, there was a group of people not many had heard about at this point that were rebelling, and the king had to take some with him and go and put down the revolt. It's interesting, that group of people, that, 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 um, that city was Babylon. <laughs> on the other side of the Assyrian Empire, that had started to revolt at that time. Also, as the Scripture tells us what happened in this instance, the angel of the Lord comes, God sends him, and he cuts off the mighty men of valor of the Syrians, cuts off some of the leaders, and the captains and so through it god delivered hezekiah delivered jerusalem and uh, in a sense we would say this he rewarded the foresight and initiative hezekiah in delivering the israelites from the assyrians look down at verse 22 let's see how the scriptures put it for us same chapter right here verse number 22 notice it thus the lord saved hezekiah and the inhabitants of jerusalem from the hand of sennacherib the king of assyria and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. I love that statement. Guided them on every side. But he said the, the, the lesson is this. Never face danger with your own schemes and plans. My friend, when you follow God's plans and you, you turn it over to God. God, what should we do? What's your will? How, how would you have us to respond to this? I love that last statement of the verse. You are promised that he will guide us on every side. How many times have you and I been, been tempted to say in life, well, that blindsided me. Boy, that came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that. And that, boy, that, 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 that came out of my peripheral vision. And I, I was not ready for that to come up in life. You know, aren't you thankful that when you and I trust God, nothing surprises him? God is not blindsided by everything. And I think this statement speaks to that. He guided them on every side. I am so thankful that when we trust in God, we include him in the equation, both in preparation for danger, but also when we face danger, our response to it, when we include God, follow God in those things, uh, operate by his plans and his will and his way. You know, the fact is we are guarded on every side. They're protected on every side. There's not going to be something that comes up and gets you. The guy said, oh, sorry, I didn't see that. 
No, no, you're protected. He'll guide you on every side. And I love that promise and that reality of what happened with Hezekiah here in Jerusalem. He guided them. And it's the same thing that will happen when we face danger looking to the Lord. Well, that was just really the introduction. Okay, that's not the main story because here's what happens. Hezekiah's fame and his glory kind of grows. Everybody said, what? Israel was able to do that? Judah was able to stand against the great Assyrian army? Jerusalem didn't fall? That's amazing. No one has been able to withstand the Assyrian army in Sennacherib. That's unbelievable. And so his fame grew. In fact, people started to take great notice of it. They were thankful because the, uh, the Judah wasted their time, in a sense, the Assyrians, and it kind of protected some of the nations around. It thwarted the advance of the Assyrian empire uh, into other nations and other cities. And so, boy, these other cities are like, ah, oh, that's wonderful. And so they sent presents and gifts to um, Hezekiah. Look down at verse 23. We'll see how the Bible kind of describes this for us. Notice it, verse 23, 2 Chronicles 32. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. So his fame is growing. They bring in gifts. He becomes very wealthy. He accumulates much of this time. Jump down to verse 27, if you will, and we'll read down through verse 29. (coughs) Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manners of pleasant jewels. Storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance. For God had given him substance very much. That's pretty amazing. You know, he had heaped all these things. He had grown Hezekiah. Certainly, God was allowing him to be blessed and rewarded because of his revival, his religious reforms that had taken place. There's no doubt of that. And yet, he had been trusting and looking to God. And I think that's key. He kept his heart close to God. And as he did, man, these things, wonderful things happened in Hezekiah's life. And he had shown initiative. Uh, he had acted wisely and quickly and responding to danger. He looked to the Lord and uh, ensured that the Lord was part of his preparations. Well, you know the story. It's interesting about Hezekiah. He, he became sick and sick unto death. And God basically told him, you're going to die. and uh, Your soul's going to come and you're going to live with me. And, and Hezekiah, well, he was, he, things were just going great. And that kind of broke his heart in a sense. And so he cried out to God. And again, you know the story. God granted him 15 more years of life. And, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder, why in the world would you ask for 15 more years here on earth when you could have heaven? But anyway, he did so, and uh, he asked God for 15 more years. God granted it. He recovered from his sickness and so forth, and he continued to reap the blessings from the hand of God. His fame grew. His kingdom expanded and strengthened. And here comes the situation, the negative illustration. Example, as he was recovering, there's a day that um, after God, certainly his, his merciful intervention, his recovery, there's a day that on the city to the road, Jerusalem, a huge entourage appeared. A delegation of, of people, and they could tell this was from a faraway country. There's something different about these folks. We've never seen them before, and, and they're heading to the city. And <laughs> you can imagine initially, or maybe a little scared of, oh, great, is this another nation trying to take down Jerusalem and Hezekiah and Judah? And, and uh, it proved to be in somewhat a friendly delegation. They doubtless heard of Hezekiah and what he had done to the Assyrians and how he withstood them there at Jerusalem. How he had also miraculously recovered. And uh, they even shared that. We we heard how how you had been lifted up by God and God had intervened in that sense. 
the king that sent them, interestingly, was actually the, the king of Babylon. And uh, you see his name there, Merdach Baladon. And uh, he has sent a letter and uh, uh, sent gifts to Hezekiah. Well, as these gifts came flowing in, and he reads this letter of, of praise and honor uh, for Merdach Baladon, uh, he reads it, he, his, his heart and his mind is lifted up, and he makes a terrible decision. And here's where we, and young people, can I encourage you, I think this is probably one of the best life lessons you can learn from this story tonight is this, uh, lesson number three. Always ask God to reveal danger when faced with a new opportunity or situation. Always ask God to reveal danger when faced with a new opportunity or situation. See, we as humans, we so often think that when a situation, opportunity comes up, and we just look at it on the surface, and it looks great, it looks wonderful, maybe it's a new job offer, maybe it's, uh, it's this situation, maybe it's going into this deal with somebody, whatever the case may be, maybe it's, uh, you, you can fill in the blank as far as what it might be. We're faced with that, and often we look on the surface, we take it at face value, much like Hezekiah does in this situation. Can I remind you, you and I are limited in our ability to see beyond the surface sometimes. We can't see two, three, four, ten steps down the road in which danger is going to explode on the scene. We often can't see, and boy, we can testify to this, friend, can't we? Uh, 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 there's many illustrations in Scripture where somebody makes a decision, they make a choice, they don't pray about it, they don't seek God's understanding, uh, His wisdom, His direction, uh, uh, to reveal danger in that decision. And my friend, what happens? Boy, it turns out terrible. In fact, I would put it this way, describe it in such a way that the choice of today will lead to sorrow tomorrow. (laughs) The choice of today will lead to sorrow tomorrow. And sometimes we can't see that. Often you and I can't see that. But man, aren't you grateful we have a God in heaven who is all-knowing? Who is sovereign? Who knows, okay, this decision I make today, down this path, if I choose to go down this path, boy, danger's going to be there. And boy, God sees that. And my friend, when we seek him, I, I, we know he's good friends with prophet Isaiah. This would have been a good time to, for him to call in I, Isaiah. Isaiah, what should I do without this? Here's this delegation. How should I handle this delegation? Uh, what, what should, I, should I be friendly? Should I leave them at the door? Should I just accept their letter and their gifts and send them on their way? How is the best way to handle this? He didn't do that. He didn't pray about it. He didn't seek it. God, is there some danger here? Is there something going to happen because of this? No, he, he didn't react in that way. That would have been the wise and quick initiative uh, when, we face, uh, when he faced a new opportunity and situation, yet he took it at face value. And, and can I just tell you, his heart was pumped up. He, well, you heard about me all the way over there, huh? <laughs> That's Hezekiah with a Z. <laughs> I mean, you can just tell, it's, it's getting to me. This is, oh, yeah, that's who I am. Uh-huh, you're right, yeah, I'm the king. Of, yeah, we're the ones who defeated the Syrians, or withstood them at least. And yeah, I was going to die, and, and I rose up 15 more years. Yeah, that's me. And it kind of appealed to his pride. Not kind of, it did. You say, what exactly did he do? Well, turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 39, because we have it chronicled for us, no pun intended, as we go from Second Chronicles uh, to Isaiah Isaiah 39, Isaiah 39, we'll look just at the beginning of the chapter. I like how our King James Bible, Schofield, describes it at the top of this chapter, Hezekiah's folly, and so it is. 
uh, <laughs> chapter 39 of Isaiah, we look at verses 1 and 2. It says this, At the time of Merodach of Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. That's what we've described. For he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. Verse 2, And Hezekiah was glad of them. Okay? Boy, it just made him happy. It gave him a good day <laughs> to get a present. Amen? And showed them <coughs> the house of his precious things. The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment in all the house of his armor, in all that was found in his treasures, there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. So here they come. They inflate his ego. Hey, Hezekiah, I've heard great things about you. You're the fantastic, the greatest king of Judah that they're saying. And boy, our king wants to say hi to you and give you these gifts. Hezekiah, oh, you know what? I, I am, uh, yeah, I've done pretty well. In fact, let me show you. And he takes them on an all-expenses, all-inclusive tour of his dominion. And could you imagine? He's walking around the palace. Oh, let me show you this storeroom over here. Hey, we'll, we'll just go down in Jerusalem, this other. I have another story. You're not going to believe this. Another storehouse. Now, I don't show this to many people, but I'm going to show it to you. And he shows them all the storehouses. Listen, he used, the Bible uses the word. He shows them everything. Oh, I'm just thinking they're getting a little tired seeing all this. In fact, it says nothing. There was nothing he didn't show them. And it wasn't just his silver and his gold, his treasures. But he shows them everything that the army has. Here, here's all of our spears. Here's all of our shields. Here's our chariots. Here's our horses. And here's everything we have. And <coughs> we just came up with this new invention. And, and I mean, he's showing them everything. He, he's, he's like opening Pentagon to them. Amen? Just come in and look at all of our computers and all the files. You can see, this is neat. Aren't we pretty awesome? And he's showing them everything. And I, that statement just blows my mind. It wasn't just his house, his palace, but he showed them the entire dominion. Everything of Judah. Now, it's interesting. You think about it. Here are the Babylonians. Now there's no need for a reconnaissance mission to see if Judah is worth invading in the years to come. They already know it. There's no need to send an expeditionary force to, to gauge the strength of Judah's army, what they have, what kind of weapons, what kind of resistance they can put up. No, no, no. They already know it. All thanks to this proud king. He shows them everything. You can just imagine they're kind of giggling to themselves. Can you believe he showed us this? Can you believe he, he just opened up his storehouses and his armory? He took us on that tour and, and they're leaving. They're walking up. And, and it's funny how things work in the scriptures because I can just picture if we were talking about a, a, a scene or a picture, they're walking down the path out of Jerusalem and all of a sudden on this side of the screen walks a man. And it's not just any man, it's the prophet Isaiah. Do you ever wonder if these kings ever have those moments where they're like, uh-oh, something's wrong. Just look at, the, look at the, uh, the face that Isaiah has. And Isaiah comes up and he comes to the king as they're leaving the delegation. And Isaiah comes up to him and he says, basically, uh, what was that all about, King Hezekiah? And boy, Hezekiah, he, he, doesn't, <laughs> he, he, he just explains what he did. He kind of tells Isaiah what's going on. Notice it, verse number 3, same chapter. Here, Isaiah 39, verse number 3. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? You know, again, I, this is sometimes, I wonder if God in heaven sometimes looks at you and I and says, Why didn't you ask me first? Why didn't you come and ask me? 
What decision to make? What choice to make? Why didn't you come and seek my wisdom? Listen, boy, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of me. I give it to all liberally. I don't upbraid. I don't hold back. I don't get on. No, I will give you wisdom. Why didn't you come and ask this of me? And I, I, boy, it ought not to have been the prophet asking the questions. It ought to have been the king asking God questions. What should I do here? How, how should we handle these people? Is there danger in this? Notice what he says, though. <laughs> Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thy house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is mine, uh, that is in mine house, have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Do you ever have those moments? I sometimes have them preaching. That it sounds a lot better in here than how it sounds when it comes out. Do you ever have those moments when you do something and you're like, man, that sounded a lot better in here than it looks like when I actually do it? Boy, I fear Hezekiah has one of these moments right now. He's explaining to Isaiah, and as he explains, I showed him everything in my house. There's nothing that I didn't show them. Hmm. The light bulb's starting to come on. He's starting to, uh-oh. And boy, sometimes that's how it happens for you and I. Man, what did I just do? My friend, you can see that as he explains it, Isaiah just jumps in. He cuts to the chase. Look with me, if you will. And we're in verses 5 through 7. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days will come that all, not a not a circumstantial, not a, a happen chance use of that word, that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store, remember what he showed, his storehouses, until this day shall be carried to where? Babylon. Nothing. Uh, have you heard that word before? Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. It's an amazing prediction of Isaiah that comes true. Listen to me. Let's put ourselves in context here and understand. At that time, no one knew who Babylon was. Oh, they're just some city on the other side of the Assyrian Empire that, that had a little bit of a revolt, and no one cared about them. They didn't know that Babylon was going to be the next world power. Oh, the prediction comes true. Hezekiah would be spared. He'd lived out his days in, in relative peace. But his descendants would pay the price for his lack of wisdom, his wise and quick initiative to do what is right in the face of potential danger. They would become slaves in the Babylonian palace. All his treasures would be carried away. There'd be nothing left to him. And Oh, my goodness, God has a good way of, uh, of using the play on words and things in this sense. He showed them all. There's nothing that he did not show them, and uh, the prognosis is not good. All will be taken from you. Nothing will be left. And so it came to pass, nearly a century later, Nebuchadnezzar there in Babylon, they, they did not soon forget what their delegation saw and heard about Judah. They didn't forget the report that came back. I mean, this, this king here, this Hezekiah king, this guy that miraculously got another 15 years of life, he is loaded. Those storehouses have silver and such, and, and we've seen their armor. We know what we can do. Boy, if we can cap. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come and carry them away, take captives and such. We might wonder. It, it would ask the question, and certainly we know the sin and the rebellion of Israel, but 
Why did God allow this situation to happen? Why at this time in Hezekiah's life did, did God allow the delegation? Certainly God could have stopped that delegation from coming and so forth. Would you turn back with me, Second Chronicles 32. If I'd had uh, not too much brain fog, I would have told you to keep your spot there. I'm sorry I didn't. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Let's look back there. Second Chronicles chapter 32. And uh, look in verse number 31. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31 is... We draw to a close this evening. Notice it. We answer the question, why did God allow this happen? Look at verse 31, 2 Chronicles 32. How be it, in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done to the land, God left him. God allowed it. God God said, okay, I'm going to allow them to come. Notice it. To try him that he might know all that was in his heart heart that's amazing oh great story go ahead the assyrians come they besiege jerusalem god helps hezekiah he he seeks god and he cries to god and god gives him wisdom and and he shows great wise and quick initiative to prevent that danger and boy god blesses him he has riches heaped to him and so certainly in response to the revival and the religious reforms but it comes to this moment in the midst of the fame and everything else the extra 15 years of life Something happened in Hezekiah in his heart, and it was turned from the Lord. And God said, listen, I'm going to allow this to happen so I know what is in Hezekiah's. And it wasn't, as this is often the case, it wasn't that God didn't know the heart of Hezekiah. He wanted Hezekiah to know his own heart. And my friend, there are times where God allows things in our life. And, okay, are you going to look to me? Are you going to turn to me? Are you going to include me in this equation? Are, are, are you going to involve me in, in this response? Or are you going to go your own way? Because there is a great revelation of where your heart is, how we respond to danger. When there's a great situation in front of us, do we turn to God and say, okay, God, this looks good on the surface. This looks wonderful. I think I ought to do this, but God, I I want your will. I want your way. So would you show me, is there any danger coming down the path? Is there anything that's going to come up later if I make this decision? See, Hezekiah didn't do that, and the answer was very clear. See, you know the verse as well. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I love the verse just a little bit before that because it really speaks to what Hezekiah fell into. There was a time that you would say Hezekiah's heart was close to God. His first response was to cry to God. Isaiah, come here. We've got to cry out to God. We're in this situation here with the Assyrians. and We've got to cry out to God. But now in this time of prosperity, his heart is lifted up in pride. Is drawn away, and I love what verse number five of the same passage says this Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, that maketh flesh his arm. And this is a, a damning statement, a condemning statement, whose heart departeth from the Lord. That's a, that's a sad statement. Because can I tell you, listen, tonight, when we, in just a few moments, uh, not as quickly as some of you would probably like, but we're going to depart from Fostoria Baptist Church building. Now, what is necessary, what is that, listen, what is necessary for you and I to depart from the Fostoria Baptist Church building? You must be there. 
There's no one watching from live streaming tonight that's going to depart from Fostoria Baptist Church building because they ain't here. That's correct grammar. You have to be there to depart from there. And that is really the sad statement here, isn't it? Whose heart departeth from the Lord. Earlier in our song service, we sang the song, and Pastor Aaron alluded to it. You know, God never moves away from us. It's us that moves away from God. It's our heart that departs. And that's where Hezekiah was here. And here's the last life lesson. Hey, young people, would you get a hold of this? And believers of all ages, here's the last life lesson about initiative from here in Hezekiah. Beware that a heart which departs from the Lord is open to danger. It's open to sorrow. It's open to heartache. It's open to regret. It is open to anything and everything that will hurt and cause pain. A heart that departs from the Lord. And Hezekiah was set up. Hezekiah had everything going well. It was going to be great for his descendants, but he allowed his heart to depart from the Lord. And it showed up in this silly situation, if we could put it that way. Can I just tell you tonight, young person, hey, teenager, you want to find danger, you want to find heartache, sorrow, hurt, pain, let your heart depart from the Lord. Let the things of this world cause your heart to stray. Let your own pride move your heart away from the Lord. You can be sure you will be, don't miss it, you will be just one decision away from hurt, sorrow, and danger. One decision away. Once your heart departs from the Lord, You're just one bad decision away from reaping just like Hezekiah did. That's why it's so crucial for you and I. I I don't want that. I I want to stay close to the Lord. I I want always to be there. When there's new opportunity, there's a new situation come, I I want to ask God to reveal the danger. I want to turn to Him in every single way. And, And what's neat is, in the Scriptures, we have that presented for us. In Psalm 112 and verse 7, it tells us about the righteous man, the man that fears God, the upright man. He's described wonderfully in Psalm 112. And and it goes on and it talks about this man, what he will experience when uh, when he faces danger and he hears evil tidings. You remember this verse, verse 7 says this, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. I love that description. See, in one hand, you have Hezekiah. And, and there was a time where Hezekiah represented that. Our heart's fixed. God, the Assyrians are at the gate. There's nothing we can do. Our own plans and schemes will not work. And God, we followed you. We cried out to you. We followed your plans. You told me to prepare in this way. And so now we're trusting in you. Our heart is fixed upon you. And you know what God provided or what God showed himself to be? The great deliverer. The great deliverer. But later on in his life, guess what? Hezekiah allowed his heart to, to, to stray. Man, as he let his heart stray, his heart, saddest thing that could ever be said, departed from the Lord. And as he did, friend, man, he heaped unto himself danger and sorrow and hurt and pain. My friend, there is a time in in your life and there's a place where you don't have to be afraid of any danger or evil tidings. Your heart is fixed. It trusts in the Lord. But boy, the moment you let your heart depart from God, that's when we open the door to danger. Just a decision away. Can I encourage you as we close tonight, be reminded of these life lessons from Hezekiah. Number one, never prepare for danger without God in the equation. 
Number two, never face danger with your own schemes and plans. Number three, always ask God to reveal danger when faced with a new opportunity and situation. That's what it means to, 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 we're to depend, our hearts should depend upon the Lord, not depart from the Lord. So we depend on him by asking for wisdom and guidance and direction. Last but not least, beware that a heart which departs from the Lord is open to danger. And all of these are tied into you and I showing initiative. I hope you will. Father, we thank you so very much for your word tonight. I thank you for the challenge and the encouragement from the story and, and Lord, the, uh, the amazing illustrations we see of Scripture that help us on a day-to-day basis. And so, Lord, help us to take this to heart. Help our young people or our older folks alike, each one of us, to learn from these truths. And, Father, I pray that we'd be very careful. We'd guard our heart, as we would say, and, Lord, that it would never depart from you that our daily actions and our daily choices and decisions are bathed in much prayer. And Lord, we always look to you. We include you in the equation of everything. And Father, I just pray you'd guide us and direct us to show this kind of initiative. And Lord, may we reap the benefits of it. Father, thank you for the clarity of your teachings of your word. Thank you for the principles of life that you give us by which we can live and help us to follow them and live them out even today. Lord, bless us now as we go from this place. Keep us safe, protect us. I I pray, Lord, as we do depart from this building, that our heart would not depart from you. That we stay close to you and walk with you this week and stick close to your word. And may we be often in prayer depending upon you and not departing from you. Father, bring us back on Wednesday, ready to worship you and spend time encouraging one another. And Lord, uh, as we see the day approaching. We love you much. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.